Welcome to School of Movies. Highlander 2, The Quickening. Greetings, Highlander. You call In all their centuries on Earth, nothing could have prepared them for the quickening. Christopher Lambert, Sean Connery, Highlander 2, The Quickening. There were two trailers, and that was the best one. I'm Alex Shaw, and with me, as always, is my wife and co-host Sharon. Hello. And rejoining us after the first show is Jesse Ferguson. Hello, hello. Hello. Uh, so uh, we're going to use, mostly we're going to be talking about Highlander 2 because god damn, we're going to use it as exemplary of how the Highlander series, like, I mean, it's never been able to really capitalize on any level of success, but fans of the series tend to either like the TV show or they like the first film. Very few people like one of the sequels the most. Uh, And the two is exemplary of how they have mismanaged and been unable to sort of uh, even at least reach the quality of the first, if not the success. Yeah, let's get straight into this new chronology. So the chronology was originally Highlander 1 was 1986. Highlander 2 was filmed in 1991. Highlander and 1995? Question mark. Highlander the TV series was 1992. Highlander 3, The Sorcerer was 1994. The end of the TV show was 1998. Highlander Endgame was 2000, and Highlander the Source, which put a death bullet in the series, was 2007. And they're sort of, you know, it's in development hell while they try and work out whether to do a reboot or if it's even worth doing a reboot. All the way back to Highlander 2, The Quickening. (laughs) I have a feeling this is going to be one of those shows where we do as much as we can to talk around the actual (laughs) subject. We call those the must You can always tell what we thought about them. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they began with uh, Die Hard 2, actually, because after the incredibly enthusiastic Die Hard 1 show, we were like, right, ugh. And then we kept on like going off on tangents, and Neil will remember this, and, and Matt, who, when we were there. And uh, the, it, it, was, it was just anything to not talk about Rennie Harlan's installment in that franchise. <laughs> anyway, right, so production woes. They moved the whole shoot, because if you remember, the original Highlander was in England and some in America – uh, in New York, and there was well, there was one more place, oh, Scotland and Wales for some of the external <laughs> stuff. Quite an important part, that one. <sighs> okay. Um, but yeah, that, so, that, so it was all there. And so the, the, the uh, production team, um, the producers and the backers of the film, who will come into play heavily in this, decided <laughs> that they would save money by sending everyone to uh, Argentina. And uh, there's a uh, documentary on the, um, the the special edition called um, Was it Seduced by Argentina? Uh, yeah, something like that. And it is it's astonishing. It's got this intro sequence with a claymore and a, a rose, and it's like you know, for years this film has been maligned, and now it is finally exonerated by this special edition as we look back. Oh my god. How- <sighs> What? <laughs> Nothing. I was just going to sing You Are My Rose, You Are My Rose. <laughs> <laughs> yep. This is the room of the Highlander films. And it, you know what? Is this... <laughs> is this the worst of the Highlander sequels? 
Yes. It, no, 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 yeah, yes. no, no, no. It's this. It's, it's the a, second it's worst. The second worst. God. Um. Yeah. It, it does get worse, folks, but it also gets better. So yeah, they they went to Argentina. They were eating steaks every night. And they were kind of just they, they, Russell Mulcahy, who came back as director, was really in, you know intoxicated by the idea of sort of doing a a big set and sort of designing it from the ground up. And he was trying to do Blade Runner, and there are several times in offices where he he almost achieves that kind of Blade Runner aping look. It's just that what they're talking about is absolutely cretinous, so it falls down there. If you watch the Cannes showreel on that same DVD, it's like it's ten minutes of bits from the film, and some of it actually seems like. Yeah, this might be quite a good film, and then it cuts to the sword fighting. And you're like, "Oh no, this is dire. This is fuck. This is dog shit." And you know what? For a movie about sword fighting, just some of the worst sword fights I've ever seen. I haven't oh, seen yes. sword fighting like this since Vader and Obi Wan Kenobi. But no, because that at least that you've got. Uh, David Prowse, you know, uh, mooching around the place. I don't know if, yeah, I think he was the original stuntman in the in the first Star Wars. Bob Anderson, who ironically did the co- uh, the um, sword coordination in the original Highlander, stood in for Vader during a lot of the stunts in Empire and Jedi. You at least had the poise of Alec Guinness going, "Only a master of evil, Darth." So there's there's something going on there, and you know oh, you sure. understand the story, but there's nothing going on in these, these sword are fights. Supposed to be. Highly trained, very skilled sword fighters, and They're poking at each other <laughs> with these yeah, bits and of I metal. Yeah, and I was going to say as well with the with the um, Star Wars fights. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter that it's a little bit wooden, but ultimately there are narrative points behind it. You understand why they're fighting. You care mm, in this, and yeah. <laughs> I like how you say that it's a little bit wooden in Star Wars because back in the original Star Wars, those lightsabers really were wooden. They uh, wooden. wrapped them in tin foil so that they would reflect the light and, and had these dowling rods rotating on these mechanical handles. And, of course, they broke all the time. So that's why they had to be very ginger with their blows. They were like, tink, tink, tink. <laughs> it must have evil. Watch it, Darth. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's why when Obi-Wan does that little turny spin around, it takes about six years, and he's like, oh, wait, wait, I'm coming around, coming around, watch yourself, and there we go. Easy, easy. <laughs> Still a better fight than anything in Highlander 2. <laughs> now, it starts off deceptively elegantly. Oh, one more note on the sword fights. Christophe Lambert is visually impaired to some extent, like it's been getting, I think it's degenerative. He has real trouble seeing. Now, unfortunately, sword fights are something you really need to see during. And I believe he injured somebody pretty badly. It's kind of sad because he's got these really great intense eyes, but they're mainly intense because he can't see you. All of that staring at you in the poster is he's like, what's that over there? Trying to make at your face. (laughs) Father. (sighs) But, you know, I, I... after all of this Highlander crap, by the way, I still really like Christophe Lambert. You know, he's he's not an objectionable guy. He's he's a slime ball sometimes in his films, and he's a bit of a sleaze bag, but he's earnest. He's a pretty good actor. We really should see Night Moves. Mm, and I need to see Subway, that uh, one of that first Luc Besson films. Okay, so it's actually quite an elegant start if you consider the original Highlander, because it starts at the opera. Now, I think yeah. they should have started it back in the past when Connor was coming up with the shield, because that at least gives you the basis of the shield. Which, if you haven't seen the film, Connor McLeod is responsible for a shield to protect us from the harmful effects of the hole in the ozone layer. But it starts you, just kicks you straight in in the future, and it's, you know, the future. Buenos Aires, Argentina, and 
Conan McLeod has gone to the opera. Instead of watching um, uh, wrestling, wrestling, and you know, a bunch of uh, uh, porky men in big shorts slapping each other, he's watching a, a fairly beautiful opera. There is a it's... rather embarrassing moment when he, like, the camera zooms in on his face and he stares intensely at the leading man's crotch and the camera zooms in on that crotch and it's like you do realize what you're implying with the visual language of this film <laughs> that has been oh it's been so long since i got a crotch like that because <laughs> he's an old man now it's been 40 years since the original highlander and uh so he is now approaching 70 Connor mcleod and the years have really caught up with him at least in terms of physical body age, his actual mental age has been going on for well over 500 years. And they could have done a really great Logan-style, it's taken its toll on him film, but that's not their remit. So, what, what do you guys feel about the, the beginning of this film and just the sort of production side of it? Well, they're definitely trying to, you can feel echoes of the original Highlander, um, and like you said, they, they open with, you know, with the opera instead of the wrestling match. But they're trying to sort of go through the same beats a little bit where they're they're like, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? This is this is remember how great that movie was. And it just kind of falls down a little bit. I'm not entirely certain why they felt they had to. I mean, does it actually say this is Buenos Aires? I don't think they ever really advertise it as Argentina. Maybe they don't want to alienate people, but I, I it became apparent. But I never got the feeling from the film that they'd actually set it in Argentina. I mean, right. everybody who speaks has an American accent. There's oh, that's nothing true, yeah. to indicate that they're, they're actually in Argentina, in which case it was a complete waste of the location, considering was- how much everybody waxed the lyrical about how you know everybody was completely taken by where they were then make the most of where you are there's actual life in argentina film it god's sake well the the, the point is it's a dead world it's dead because of conor mcleod everyone is on holiday for the production they're like (laughs) oh we don't know what we're doing it's just you know (laughs) the food is so cheap out here and uh, um, you know, there's a the wonderful location and, and let's just sort of like wing it and do what we can with it. And it, it, the people were injured on set and the um, composer was, uh, in his words, he was attacking the film with his score. That's not a good idea. That, that means that the score is going to clash with what's on screen rather than accentuate what's on screen. Rather than being the direct link to our emotions, the score is going to distract us from what we're seeing. And that happened over and over again. It couldn't decide whether it wanted to be metal or classical music. Stuart Copeland was the composer, and there is actually some merit to what he put together. It's just that when you play it against a film that's so higgledy-piggledy in its own right, it is lessened, kind of like the score for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. 
some metal bands are really good at doing like the classical style. What's that uh, metal band that Christopher Lee um, sings with? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. Hang on. Charlemagne. And Rhapsody. This is a song called The Magic of the Wizard's Dream. I know it is my fate Bound to aliens It's all just like metal and very sort of a grand, self-agranding and, uh, you know, not really laughing at itself, but it's earnest. And that kind of fits with Highlander. So, you know, if, if they'd picked one tone and one thing and one line to follow through, and that goes for the whole rest of the movie, because the thing this suffers from the most of all is that they keep weaving these threads in, winding more and more things in, like more and more sci-fi, none of which there's, they've really thought out, none of which works on its own. And so what you end up with is six or seven half-thought-out threads of plot which don't go together, all tangled in each other, and then it ends. There's a lot of inconsistency in here. Back to the music, like you said, you've got the... I, I, I love the random interspersion of the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> Especially anything to do with Ramirez. Suddenly yeah. bagpipes. Suddenly we have bagpipes. Even though, remember, he's, he's, he's Egyptian. Egyptian. Right? It's Spanish peacock. <laughs> I'm confused myself. <laughs> um, okay, so just to sort of set the tone, it's tw- the distant far off year of 20. Why should you? Oh, they didn't bother. It's- do, do, you want me to read the, do you want me to read the blurb? Because I wrote it down. Oh, yeah, go for it. Go for it. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> the year is 2024. Industrial pollution has destroyed the ozone layer. Leaving yep. the planet at the mercy of the sun's ultraviolet rays. Bear in mind, this was made in 1991. We were all very Captain Planet at the time, very worried about uh, very the Very concerned Earth. about the ozone layer. Yeah. An electromagnetic shield now protects the Earth. A small group believes that the ozone layer has repaired itself and that the shield is no longer necessary. But no one knows for sure. <laughs> and apparently it would take more energy than the Earth has to switch the shield off. Right. I don't think that that's how switching things off works. You don't need no. a massive power and surge. The thing about that is there's a very easy way to flip that to make it make sense. Okay, if we turn it off to see if the ozone layer has we might be able, not out, be able to turn it back on we, we Exactly. We don't have the energy to restart it again. That's, that is a better scenario to be the main problem that Highlander 2 needs to fix. If we, if we needed to, to harness half of the world's nuclear arsenal back in 1999, to actually get this started, and we have now disarmed the other half, that that kind of makes sense. Again, that's one of the first ill-thought-out ideas of this movie, and one of the reasons why, like, all of these things are stacked on top of wafer-thin, breadstick, load-bearing structures of plot. (laughs) So it collapses immediately, because as soon as you ask a question, it's bullshit. So, yeah, Connor McLeod, after seeing lots of people die of horrible skin cancer because of this ozone layer hole back in the 90s, used his new wisdom that he got from his final quickening with the Kurgan to create a shield that would shut out the sun. Which I might point out is not how the quickening wisdom works. He is able to read and connect the minds of everybody on the planet. 
He doesn't have well, any Maybe he connected the minds of various scientists who were all thinking the same thing and got them all together. Like a scientist Avengers. Ah, good point, actually. Yeah, because yeah, they, they do say he supervises the pro- or he's managing the project. But they never went into it. That's actually a really interesting idea, by the way. Yes. That's a really progressive idea. How about that's your sequel? Let's see that happen. Nope. No time. We've got to have some shit sword fights instead. It begs the question, though. Why did he wait until everyone started dying? Yeah. Why does he wait until Brenda dies? Brenda dies horribly burned by the sun. And goes, did you notice? You what? In the... In the flashback, which I assume we might get to at some point later mm-hmm. in the future, but in the flashback when he's talking to her, mm-hmm. he's got his Scottish accent back, even though it's in the 90s now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I she's ain't like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, it seems oddly like, familiar to me. <laughs> oh, this movie? Promise me you'll create a shield, Connor, that will block out the sun. I, I I will do that, Blossom. That there's nothing near that can go wrong from that. <laughs> Why the groundskeeper Willie? <laughs> I've got a crippling arthritis in me index fingers. So on to Planet Zest, which is what my autocorrect has corrected it to. <laughs> Planet Zest. It's you Planet what? Zest. Better movie. Better movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so Planet Zeist, if you're watching the original Highlander to The Quickening, or The Distant Past, if you're watching any other version. It even starts with a long time ago. Thousands of years ago. Right, okay. There are actually four cuts of this that existed. Oh the first God. one was before it was even released theatrically. Originally, once they started running out of money because it was such a poorly thought-out production, the backers pulled it. They said, right, you're done. They grabbed all the footage, they locked everyone out of the editing suite, threw together a cack-handed edit of it, and said, yeah, we're going to release this. It's like, what, 72 minutes long? And Russell Mulcahy, he was very upset. Then Entertainment in Video turned up and went, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We will distribute a longer version if you let us, you know, let Russell recut this one and do the best that he can with what he's got. Basically, the Planet Zeiss thing is because people were asking them, well, where, where do these immortals come from? And they decided that the most prudent thing would be to answer them with an ill thought out, uh, they come from another planet. Your, I, I your was... bag of answers is bullshit relative to my bag of questions. I've always viewed the planet zeist thing mm-hmm. was it was that the highlander version of midichlorians exactly they're, yes. they're trying to add a science something to. that doesn't need to be science the whole point of the immortals yeah. is that nobody knows why it's mysterious mm. it's it's magical and they've tr- they've gone and and tried to science you know science it instead mm-hmm. um i've actually noticed a lot of parallels between the Star Wars series and this series, which we might be able to get into later. but Including meddling with the special effects. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but also, one thing I would point out is that whole go back to their origin and explore the theory that all of a sudden they're from another planet, that's a very strong flavour. If that's what you're going to do, make the movie about but that. that. Yeah. Own that. But again, it's another one of these breadstick-thin support pillars. And the moment that you question it, it collapses. You don't need to question it. It just needs to get a bit socky. Because after this... Oh, yeah, you go, Jesse. I was just going to say, it collapses in on itself before you even question it, like she said. The the fact that, like, things like, oh, we're going to do a flashback into the distant past. 
where they're still named Ramirez and McLeod. Yeah. And um, the general katana after a Japanese sword that won't exist for how many thousands of years? Yeah, because I mean, well, one of the plot points of the original Highlander is, is Brenda going, but this shouldn't have been existed until the Middle Ages. And she's talking about the exact same thing that Katana is named after. Mm-hmm. The whole reason that the two cuts exist is after this botched version was never actually released in the cinemas. Then we got to see a sort of a better version at the cinemas that Russell actually got to have some uh, control over. But he there was bits missing from the film and he hated the whole Planet Zeiss thing now, even though this was part of it going in. So they went back apparently four years later, filmed new scenes for this film that had already been done at around about the same time as they were doing Highlander 3 and Highlander the series. Again, for the majority of people who have never had the displeasure to watch Highlander 2, Planet Zeist is like this Tatooine dune-looking sandy place with some people on it, apparently having a war which was too expensive to film. And from this planet, Ramirez and Connor are exiled to Earth. And on Earth, you will live forever and have no memories of being on planet Zeist before. And yet they're being monitored by the villain at all times. And you just kill him. I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang. Dead. Done. One more peep out of you and you are grounded, mister. And I am not joking. Mm-hmm. The Renegade cut was released a few years later. They, they replaced the Immortals Come From the Planet Zeist with the Immortals Come From the Distant Past. Now, you're in Bill and Ted territory here. (laughs) Because from the distant past, they are observing the future and going, Connor McLeod is about to do blah, 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 biddly bong. What are you talking about under those circumstances? (laughs) What are you saying or seeing? Like, you've got all the time in the world because Connor McLeod is going to be doing this thing in thousands of years. It doesn't matter. Like, the whole, it is imminent now. That doesn't make any sense. Unless you introduce some level of this parallel timeline is running alongside this parallel timeline just at a different pace, which means that... Which they don't bother to do. They don't bother to do. Which, you know, the idea being that, you know, Connor is doing these things while we're observing it. And the other bigger question is, if it is in the distant past, or indeed if it is the planet Zeist, apparently after Connor and Ramirez are exiled from the planet or time period, like in the past where there's laser guns, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work either way you cut it. It doesn't work. After they're exiled to the future or to Earth, to be immortals, neither of which makes any sense because Connor McLeod didn't just wander into that village. He, He was apparently born there. And if he wasn't, you've got to explore the fact that he did wander into that village. You can't just go, oh, yeah, that's why he's there. Because if you're, the answers to your, the questions being asked throw up 7,000 more questions, all of them more valid than, but how did these, these immortals start out? Um, <laughs> then your answers are useless. <laughs> the other thing about the supposed flashbacks is that they all of a sudden don't work when you realize that they contain things like, metal railings and machine guns and belt buckles etc that really shouldn't exist if this is back in the mists of history but laser guns and shotguns as well yeah this is like there was a big fight with loads of explosions going on everyone's dressed like um well it looks like the planet that khan was uh exiled to like it's a sort of red (laughs) dusty planet everyone's dressed like nomads 
And apparently, did you notice that the the ship or the building or whatever that they were meeting in mm-hmm. looked? I was watching it. I actually just finished watching it like an hour ago, mm-hmm. and that ship looks a lot like Serenity. Like it caught me off guard. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe it crashed there, and uh, <laughs> in in the distant past, all the planets in the distant lost. past. One or the other. Or 500 years in the future, apparently. Like, it's possible that they're, you know, way into the Earth's distant past was technology and then it just got buried or something. If, but that's a something you have to somehow address. Right. If, if this is – if we're talking about like a cyclical timeline of technology where, you know, we're highly advanced and then something happens and everything goes away and we start over, mm. that's something you need to explore it's a half step bullshit measure to change the original line. Like it's a monk says it, you know, here on the planet Zeist, it changes to here on the distant past. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> I have heard people say they change a terrible film into an almost bearable one. No, it's no. unbearable either way. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the thing. Katana is apparently watching the progress of the immortals on this holographic TV screen for what must be thousands of years in real time. The Highlander was a documentary and the events happened in real time. For this one guy, Michael Ironside, Katana, yes, yes it was. So he's watching the Kurgan butchering people for centuries and going, Mm -hmm. oh, the Kurgan channel's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And it would appear that like, by the time we get to the equivalent, I I can't, I can't even, because if he's watching, If he's watching the progress from the distant past, then surely the amount of time elapsing is concurrent with that. Which means that if it was, say, 10,000 years ago, and he's watching it for 3,000 years, which is from how long the Kurgan was apparently around, then it's now only 7,000 years ago, because he's been watching TV for 3,000 years. And then he concludes that Connor is now about to do what? I don't know what Connor's going to do. He's an old man. And for some reason, he decides to start sending henchmen into the future or from planet Zeist to Earth to do what the Grim Reaper is just a bowl of soup away from doing anyway. Or some bad scampi. Which is to dispatch Connor (laughs) McLeod. Yeah, this part actually, like the whole past thing, as much as I hate to admit it, it actually makes more sense in the Zeist version, because yeah. at that point you would be watching things in real time and, and you would be fixed and not be able to just, you know, fast forward and see what happens. But, but the, then like he's watching it on t- how is he watching it on TV? He appears to be watching <laughs> Highlander to the quickening on his holographic on, TV on, on future vision. Which, by the way, doesn't advance in the 3,000 years while he's sitting there. And apparently Mm-mm. the inhabitants of the planet he's on is him and two henchmen. Because after the- his henchmen get sent there and die immediately, he goes, you want something done right? Got to do it yourself. And rather than sending anyone else through, remember he is like the leader of a whole army and a race and a blah, 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 and he's a conquering wall or whatever. He is so intent on killing McLeod that he could have done at any point, any point, in the past three, in the past, well, it would be like six hundred years or so from a cloud to you know grow to this age. Yeah, he he just has to go there himself and just start carving up either America or Buenos Aires. We don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> there's a point where um uh like this is when Ramirez and uh, McLeod are still like in robes on the planet Zeist or back in the past. 
um, and they get captured after this battle. And uh, Ironside gets a shrieking eel, and and like he holds up the eel and goes crunch, and it goes. Eah! Oh man! And then they go to a monk, and the monk says, "You'll you will be banished to the future." Or another planet where you will be reborn and then you'll be immortal and then all of the things that happen regarding the immortals have to happen and these are the rules and consecrated ground just because a monk says it doesn't make that make sense did you so in in the version that you guys watched did you see did you see connor actually get the immortal power um, did he get it from a small bowl or something? Yeah, like a like a bowl of mayonnaise or something. It's did like get, like the it's, it's like quickening just, jelly. It's so orange, orange. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll have some ice cold Burger King. Then riffing on. <laughs> um. So anyway, while this is all going on, but it's jumping back and forth in time or or possibly space. Can we talk about those those henchmen for a second? The what did Lyra call them? She said they're porcupine uh, people. I, I can't, yeah. like, in my notes, I have them. I'm referring to them as hedgehogs. Yeah, the very yeah. hedgehoggy birdmen. <laughs> and yeah. that cackle. <laughs> there, there's a cross between witches and gremlins. Oh, Jesus! Go, my witch gremlins! Kill McLeod! It would amuse me. It is my turn. <laughs> In the meantime, by the way, <laughs> these eco-terrorists have broken into a dam. And in real life, they they changed the flow of water in the dam, which buggered up the ecology of the area and screwed with the farms of everyone around that point for four years. Oh, Was goodness. it worth it for this dam sequence? Answer, no. Straight away. No. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, these sexy eco-terrorists burst in and they, they, they're pressing buttons and going, I don't believe it. This sh- I think it's something to do with the shield. It's, it's, it's not the, clear. The ozone above the shield. They, what they is clear is that the music behind them should be going... Because these guys are totally trying to take down Shinra. Anyway, so Virginia Madsen, the sexiest of terrorists, is her face is on TV now. Remember that, folks, because when this incredibly famous eco-terrorist gets caught by a bunch of security guards who should know her face, they go, oh, it's just a woman. That's fine. Mm-hmm. She meets Connor McLeod not before some obnoxious woman who's a drunk gets to meet this old poor old guy and go, thanks a lot for screwing up the planet, buddy. And she bottles this poor old 70-year-old man. And then, like, suddenly Connor's got Wolverine powers because he he cuts his hand on the bottle and then it goes, whoop, healing. He didn't have that power in the original Highlander. Suddenly he has it now. He Technically he does because when he's injured by the Kurgan and everybody thinks he's going to die, he basically then heals overnight. We just didn't see it happen. Yeah, but it wasn't Wolverine healing. Well, no. The implication is everybody went out because they thought he was going to die and then over the course of the night he got better you don't see the wound knit together or anything like that. i think they rush that ultimately i think the idea should be that the the highlanders uh undergo wounding and then it takes them a while to recover because ultimately if they got wolverine powers they could hack it away at each other all day and those sword fights will go on forever Mm. this is true does that ever happen in the highlander the series uh it does actually there's they have wolverine healing yeah brilliant Um, but I see. I'd interpreted this piece in because he doesn't actually start to heal until the two hedgehogs show up. <laughs> so my my interpretation of that was that okay, now we've got other 
immortal people or hedgehogs or mutants or whatever have just shown up. So now it's kickstarting. And but that doesn't make any sense. The Grim Reaper None of it makes any kill. sense, Alex. The, he's about to die of old age after having not achieved his goals. He would not be able to help Virginia Madsen to uh, um, get, disable the thing. And even if he did, what does it matter to Katana? What happens with the shield? Well, that's if- what I wanted to know. It's, it's really unclear what his motives are in wanting Connor dead. Like, so- just wait. Just wait an extra year. You've waited thousands of years. Wait a bit longer. I think I can answer this one mm-hmm. and it may just be because I just watched it. It may be because my, my version that I saw was a little bit different, but mm-hmm. while he's, while Katana is watching future vision and he's seeing all of this play out, the monks are still there. Mm-hmm. And one of the monks, oh, sorry, reminds, yeah, the monks and the henchmen are there on this planet. Right. brilliant planet. Yeah. One of the monks reminds Katana that Connor hasn't made his choice yet. So the reason that he goes back and that he goes to try to kill him is because he thinks that at any point, Connor could say, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to be immortal again and come back. Okay. Wait, what? But surely when he gets back to planet Zeist or the distant past, he will be mortal again. No, no. They explain that later. They have Virginia Madsen read the whole thing out in ridiculous exposition. Was that what she's which, marking, marching around on the in the in in the apartment? Bathrobe, yeah, the which I also wrote down. And so, we can okay, can you can later. you read this back? Because I'm okay. confused. Uh, it's not. This isn't going to help. Uh, okay, my, she says. <laughs> she I'll tell. Says, I'll tell you when you lose me. Okay, okay. Let me see if I can get this straight. You're mortal there, mm-hmm. but you're immortal here. Mm-hmm. Until you kill all the guys from there who came here, mm-hmm. and then you're mortal here. Unless you go back there, mm-hmm. or some more guys from there come back here, in which case you become immortal here again. No, because if so, if he goes back there, he suddenly becomes immortal. That doesn't make any sense. That fucks up the ecology. Just like the production of this movie did for the farmers of Argentina. <laughs> and- so, so that's a rule that they just made up and pulled out of their ass to, to give Katana some sliver of motivation. But he's such a poorly written... He, he is maybe the worst villain. Maybe the worst villain of all time. As maybe. In, like, he has terrible. no motivation. Everything yeah. he does is stupid. He's just a savage, murderous asshole. It's all back. What, who's you tapping? Him, uh... Someone's tapping. It's fine. Stop. Yeah. Um, he has oh, it's no me. motivation for <laughs> <laughs> I'm drumming my knee and my neck. Okay, got it. Wait, sorry. Um, he has no motivation for anything except the, the motivations that work backwards. So, like, we want him to do this. So vague does reason it. why he might want to do that so he can do it. But it doesn't really make any sense. You either need to have them be immortal all the time anywhere or not immortal anytime, anywhere. Or here's an idea. Get rid of this whole other planet distant past thing but then how do we get another immortal how do we make a sequel to a show that's ended that's the problem that they were facing and they just didn't handle it very well because they took they had poor planning when they made the first movie because they weren't expecting a sequel or whatever i don't know but they made a movie a series that effectively ended in its first in its first outing because they 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 said this is the end he has won there is nothing else to do from here so now where do we go from here and rather than 
go back and make it a prequel or some other sort of period piece or, hey, let's talk about another immortal. They had to put some sort of bullshit together here and they did it again in the third one. And then by the time they finished with the third one, they decided they weren't going to do that anymore. And they just forgot about continuity altogether. (laughs) Good plan. (laughs) Here's here's the thing though I've got there can be the only one asterisk. <laughs> I've got visions of the people who wrote this listening to this podcast and and hearing why not just make it a prequel? Of course, it seems so obvious now. They're all slapping their heads. We could have done one set in the seventies. Find out a bit more about Castagir. Anyway, Highlander first class. Oh. Yes. Okay, right. Yeah. So anyway, the. <laughs> If Glenn's listening, he'll love this because he he loves TV tropes. Uh, convenient newscast trope. That is, old man Connor sits mm-hmm. down in a uh, cafe and a newscast, introducing him to the woman he's about to meet and fuck, just oh, happens to come on and say and explain who she is so that he knows and we know. <sighs> anyway. Um, <laughs> I love all of the just the sighs and grunts and strained voices that we're making. <sighs> Almost as like we are our own aged McLeod. <sighs> Ramirez, my old friend Ramirez. That oh my god, that old man voice. Yes. <laughs> what? Why was the point of that? I don't. Get to show that, that he was totally old. I, I I actually quite liked. I'm a sucker for uh, actors in old makeup. To be able to see the actor under there performing, I, I'm, I'm always a big fan of that. And if I ever get to make films of this caliber, I will be <laughs> sticking people in Back to the Future style makeup because that's the way it's to do it for me. It's a harmonium. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Anyway, two hedgehog people turn up. Let's not go into this fight too much, shall we? It's bullshit. They're flying around on wires. He gets on like an air skateboard and immediately is brilliant, but not before. Like this old guy, Connor, fights one of them on a train. Then knocks him off, and the the the, the bird thing after going, MacLeod, you're going to die. Just the most irritating henchman of all time. He gets his head just torn off by a train slowly. It's really Game of Thrones gruesome. It's pretty gruesome. Oh, and it's not the only like overtly, needlessly gruesome moment of this film. There's a couple. Oh, man. So strap in, folks. So, yeah, his head comes off, and then old Connor, um, there's actually really quite a good bit, and it's one of the only bits that they didn't touch up when they uh, were um, adding on the, uh, in the special edition, they've added 100 new effects to make it look Mm. like it would um, if it was made in, like, 2007. (laughs) And, yeah, the the quickening comes out of this headless bird corpse, and it creeps towards him like this lightning goes and it knocks over cans and it has its own energy and it strikes Connor and he goes and loads of things explode. Then for no reason, after a truck with lips crashes into him and explodes, (laughs) he walks out of the fire, young, sexy Connor. There's no reason why he should be young again. He should just be immortal again. Like why, why pick that arbitrary age? Why isn't he 16? Maybe because that's how old he was when he came here from the distant past? Um, question? He was 21 when he got killed in the battle. Yeah. For the record. McLeod should technically be 21 forever. Connor McLeod Mm. was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. So hang on, 21, that means he is only about 62 when he's old man McLeod. The years have been kind? 
Anyway, so um, so now he's young and sexy and he's got long hair and the music starts going, bow, bow. <laughs> and suddenly <laughs> fart rock comes in. And then he like he jumps on the airboard and is immediately brilliant at hoverboarding around the place, chasing after this guy in his bird costume, ends up like going ha ha and yanking up a wire, and the guy runs headfirst into it, yanks his head clean off, his body goes crashing into a power cable and explodes in a shower of sparks. Virginia Madsen goes, Oh my god, that birdman's head got torn the fuck off, and he exploded in a shower of barbecued flames. My nose is filled with the singeing smell of human flesh. Young, sexy old man who I just met, fuck me right now! This scene is so disturbing. Yeah, also, it's... complete waste of Virginia Madsen. I'm just going to point that out here and now. Oh, Virginia yeah. Madsen and John C. McGinley are so above this material, it is so not even so. funny. Mm. But Did at least notice... McGinley's having fun with it. She doesn't kind of... seem to be. She's so earnest in this whole thing. She's like, look, this is my break. I'm going to finally be a leading lady-ish. The lovemaking scene, or what I call the bang against the wall, um, is a scene that really wasn't in the first version. Why was it cut out? I have no idea. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it's, it's a hot scene. So let's back up for just a second because I have a question. When she first escapes and she's changing, she has a note in her bag or in her clothes. It just says Connor McLeod, doesn't it? It says Connor McLeod, 23rd Street Bar. Like she what? knew he was going to be not, not only his address, but what bar he was going to be. Yeah. And uh, I will say I did appreciate that part just because that's the only part in the entire movie where we got a little bit of Queen music. Oh, yeah. Is that... Yeah, um, they, they played It's a Kind of Magic. Magic. Yeah. yeah. I he think... does get to say, hey, it's a kind of magic. <laughs> <laughs> it might His be... Apartment. It might be an allusion to um, him going to Brenda's bar in the first one to find her. It's always a weird day. Yeah, it's a reversal. Mm. Yeah. She has to find him. It's a shit one. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't make any sense. Where did that note come from? Who yeah. wrote it? Is it hers? So, yeah, like, she approaches him, you know, and now he's young and sexy and Tarzan looking. And I really do mean Tarzan looking because he was in yeah. Greystoke. Um, <laughs> and, and she goes, oh, she strokes his face. And then they start kissing. And then, like, she hitches her leg up and it's just, it's, like, naked. And she's got a skirt and it hitches up and they are fucking against in, the wall. In and the like, street. <laughs> Fucking in the street? Are you that, kidding me? <laughs> and I, that, I, I, I can understand that, like, he's just got to get it up. But yeah. that doesn't explain why after Heather dies, he spends hundreds of years not getting it up before Brenda turns up. He is either one thing or the other. He's either a horn dog or he's absolutely, what's the word? Chased. Abstinent. Chased. We don't know that. Does, <laughs> does he say that we never that he never slept he with anybody? Did, he well, he's, he's, no, he's only ever fell in love, love with two two women. Um, yeah, only enough to paint them once. There's <laughs> there's that doesn't mean that that you know he didn't get no. any uh, just shag his way action. around. But like, if you're a Highlander and you catch syphilis, what then? Like, because you'd survive it. <laughs> you'd go mad. You'd go mad. You'd be a gibbering madman covered in beauty marks because it was the style back in those days. <laughs> you know, just painting your face with lead and wearing a pompadour wig. And we know he did because <laughs> he was like, I'm sorry for calling your wife a bloated warthog. <laughs> but she gave me syphilis. Um, <laughs> uh, you know what? Head cannon accepted. Cure it. Maybe Katana has syphilis. Maybe that's why 
everything. I, I can't. I, I don't understand why Brenda and indeed um, Virginia Madsen's character is it Louise? What's her name? Yes, Louise. Yeah. Doesn't they'll just drop dead immediately for the amount of diseases that Connor must be carrying? <laughs> that he can survive, that, but he has a germ I, farm. I have a sneaky feeling that part of it is that these uh, moments of passion always seem to occur immediately after he's told somebody who he really is. Yeah. Like that as soon, happens like as soon as she's, way too soon in this film. You're absolutely right. In the original Highlander, I am Colin McLeod of the Clan McLeod, and I am immortal. Let us fuck. In Highlander 3, he's, it's Deborah, it's an reversal. Deborah Unger says, you're Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. You're immortal. Let us fuck. By the way, it's worth watching Highlander 3 purely for that sex scene. It seems like he has the bone in every one of his films. That's the best one. That actually, Highlander 3 worries me in that case because he still says that line, but he says it to the audience. Does that mean we have to have sex with him now? Yes. Have <laughs> you, like, because you owe Christopher Lambert a shag I, up against a wall. Yeah, I mean, he just told me his secret. Yeah. Yeah. See, I I always kind of that fits with uh, something in Quantum Leap. There was this throughout Quantum Leap. There were only a handful of times that Sam ever actually fell in love with somebody, and it always had to do with them knowing Seeing who the he really thing. was, or it being him himself who'd fallen in love, not as the person that he was supposed to be. So that kind of I suppose the first time I saw this and and the Highlander series that kind of made a weird sort of distorted sense but no no there's better reasons to sleep with somebody than they've just told you their full name dirty dirty on a cloud just told you my name now we can fuck that's 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 not how it works that's not how this works Come well on. we're not strangers anymore okay i cannot die <laughs> especially of sexually transmitted diseases but you can Let's test this theory, shall we? Anyway, speaking of rudeness, rude Hamlet. Right, just before he becomes young, Connor cries out, Ramirez! Because reasons. Because we wanted to get Connery back in this movie. Now, he's already been in the movie on the planet's ice section, but they wanted to go the whole hog with this one. So... Despite the fact that Ramirez had his head cut off hundreds of years ago, despite the fact that Connor has been carrying around his outfit and keeping it in his collection and has for his sword, of years, and has his sword. I mean, the sword like is still in his collection, but as is the peacock uh, cape. But interestingly, Ramirez's outfit suddenly not there. Ramirez turns up in Glencoe in Scotland. Just a lightning bolt hits the stage during a performance of Hamlet, and Ramirez is transported from nowhere. He's dead. There are no words. There are no words to describe what happens here. There is no science behind it. He just goes, hey, it's a kind of magic, or something along those lines, like space magic. That's fine. Do you know what? It would be fine if they never attempted to explain anything else. But half-assed explanations are far worse than no explanations. If there's no explanation, it's like, oh, I'll just go with it. It would almost be better if they never tried to explain anything to do with the immortals or any of this, because ultimately the explanations are what create these breadstick-thin support struts, and, and they say, don't stand up to any kind of question. I found a rationalization for how Ramirez came back that almost kind of makes a little more sense than anything else in this movie. Go for it. So uh, Kurgan killed... Ramirez. Yep. Connor killed Kurgan. Yep. Which so, means that... So both Kurgan and Ramirez are inside Connor. Inside Connor. And because he calls him out, 
during a quickening, mm-hmm. it's possible, maybe, theoretically, the part of Connor that is Ramirez was released. He does seem so- somewhat incorporeal. Like he is here just for a brief while and he can walk the earth one more time. If only they'd said that because that actually gives it a little bit of poignancy. Like, I am here for a brief time. I will do what I can to help you, Highlander. But then I must go. Like, just if that was the, the, the moment. I'm mean, like, right, okay, it is good to see you, old friend. That would have felt like, you know, okay, buddies, meeting up again. Sure. And if he hadn't appeared in Scotland but had just appeared just round the corner and it had been abundantly clear that he is... Effectively, a corporeal figment of Connor's imagination composed of memories of Ramirez. There's a melancholy to that. Instead, it's just a bunch of jokes for Ramirez. It doesn't explain why he can levitate a giant rotating fan or, you know, whatever else. It doesn't explain why Ramirez doesn't know what theatre is. He's been no, about- he does. He figures it out. He, oh, just, yeah, he figures I think, out the stage, he but he's being thoroughly unprofessional on stage. I think he just didn't see the audience at first. No, oh, right. That because he kind sees of the audience and then he's, he's like, "Oh, my bad." Yeah, he's dressed in a similar way to everybody on stage. Mm-hmm. So if he doesn't see them straight away, he could just assume that he's come back at a, a time that everybody should be wearing those clothes. Mm. Right. But the Hamlet goes from you know, alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. A fellow of infinite jet, like, and then uh, Ramirez is like, who are you? Where am I? Blah, 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 blah. And he goes, what's your fucking game, eh, mate? And it's like, whoa. And that was the last time that Hamlet ever appeared on stage. <laughs> no one wants to see, what's your fucking game, eh, mate? Um, spe- you know, and, 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 shithead? And, and, yeah, you, you, you want to fucking get punched, eh, you shithead? And then Connor's like, oh, at alas, poor shithead. And then the audience laughs, he bows, takes this guy's theatrical sword. It's not a real sword, guys. Focus on that one because he fights with it later. <laughs> and he takes it on a plane. Oh my God, I never thought of that. No, this was the 90s. That was okay. Look, they did it in Kill no, Bill, too. It is important to note that you can take <laughs> swords on planes. You can play for pay for your plane passage with earrings, probably. And you don't need a passport. Or identification. Or know what a plane is. Because he goes to get a suit made, pays for it with a pearl earring, and they go, and you get like, he has a bespoke suit made for him for no reason. Looks like he's about to go hunting grouse in this thing. I think it's possible because, yeah, I think what really happened was Connor was like, well, I'm wearing a fucking suit in this one. I'm not dressing in that pantomime gear. And they were like, right, would you want to wear, like, a... No, 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 you're making me a fucking suit for this one. Can we <laughs> film it? And I get it? to take it yes. home afterwards. Yes, you can. But I get to drink scotch and smoke a stogie while it's happening. Alas, poor Yorick. I knew him, Horatio. Actually, the name is Ramirez. Will you get out of here? <laughs> Excuse me? Here hung those lips that I have kissed I know not how oft. Sir, whatever you gentlemen felt for each other when your friend was still alive is certainly none of my affair. What's your fucking game, shithead? Shithead? What's a shithead? Get off the stage! (laughs) Enough of this useless banter. I shall be on my way and leave you to converse with your scum. Farewell. 
dear shithead. That happens, and the guy's like, well, you just happen to be in the, f- the oldest haberdasheries in Scotland. By being the most English man in Scotland. He's like, well, since I am the oldest man in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, he points him to the airport and then cut to a plane. How did the next sequence of events happen oh. to get him onto this plane? I want to know how he played, how he paid for it, because it's not like the 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 airing thing isn't going to work at the terminal. It, it shouldn't have worked at the haberdasheries, but we'll no. imagine that they're quaint and English and Scottish enough to to, to accept pearl earrings, let's, costume jewelry. Let's assume that this guy knows what that's worth. He's hmm. uh, what's what's the word for that? Somebody who looks at gems and diamonds an appraiser and like, like maybe if he yes. whipped out his jeweler's glass the exactly like, ah. like, like that's just <laughs> that's just crazy enough a little affectation for us to go yeah okay okay so he's got he's also a jeweler on the side mm-hmm. but like he's and then suddenly Ramirez is on the plane next to this laughing woman i will also point out the in-flight video even though it oh takes my god because this fucking flight takes hours and hours and days wow. and days like the they even make a joke about it in the they're like somewhere over the Atlantic and then an hour later they're like still, still somewhere over the Atlantic. Like the Ramirez, like this fucking plane takes days to get to Buenos Aires. <laughs> um, like there's an in-flight video that they're like if we should lose cabin pressure and everyone's panicking in this in-flight video and there's absolute chaos work work breaking out and like this toy plane crashes into a mountain. This shit was put together by a 14-year-old boy who thought he was being hilarious. You know what I thought of when I when that video came on? What I thought I was like, oh my god, this is Fight Club. Yeah. This is the this is the in flight video finally that Tyler Durden made. <laughs> but no, because it's not even that like sh- like that sharp. It's just like it's something that some kid would put together in class in GC yeah. like pre GCSE. And there's there's another thing that bugged me, and that was the like it, there's a commercial for a TV show. There's these are the only two moments in this film, and they're trying to be RoboCop and failing. Which is to sort of like satirize American entertainment. So it's like, this is the psychic chef and he's cooking with ghosts. And there are these two ghosts like helping him cook. And like, okay, you're gonna need to explain this. Yeah. Because you're throwing in this shit. And if you're throwing in this shit, then everything's on the table. In which case, you don't have to explain a goddamn thing. And in there is which no case, why are you trying? Yeah. Give us ghosts and don't explain anything or. Explain it and lose half of this movie. Yes, and lose all of our cred- your credibility. Um, now, bear in mind, by the way, folks, this was five years of The Rock. Connery's, I, I'm going to say, Connery's finest moment. I love The Rock. It is a fucking smashing film. And Connery yeah. is serious throughout and really funny as well. And it's a great performance. And one of his last, and it should have been his last, without the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and the Avengers to fuck things up. That would probably have been his last great film. Yeah. So. <laughs> Back to this movie. Yeah. It's five <laughs> years off The Rock, and somehow Connery hasn't quite gotten there yet. I think this was only like two years after Last Crusade. So Connery had gotten back after Highland, mm. like Highlander and Last Crusade. He was, you know, flying high. And then he did this one. Mm. He also did like around about this time Medicine Man and Rising Sun and The Untouchables. <laughs> so, you know, he, he had his ups and downs. Yeah. But he should definitely have stopped at the rock, not done the Avengers. But you know, it's John Steed. What's wrong with that? He wears a giant teddy bear costume in that film. At what point was that fine for Sean? He's really stroppy about that sort of thing. 
Anyway, maybe we should review the Avengers. It is a fucking piece of dog shit. I haven't seen it. Yeah. Okay. Don't. Anyway. <laughs> So, um, where were we? there's a point where back to Connor's apartment and these mm. interminable lengthy scenes where Virginia Madsen's getting to know him. She goes, I wish I could see weather. She's, you know, he's saying it was great. You could get rain clouds and things. <laughs> um, and it just made me wonder, like I've seen cloud cover that's practically in my back garden. How far off the ground is this shield? Cause it seems like it's above the clouds. It kind of seems like it would be, and it would have to be if it's raining all the time. Yeah, I mean it's, it's, it's lower than mountains. It's it's the shield is apparently lower than mountains, but we also get a scale model of it later on in the uh, in, in his office, apartment, which looks like it's slightly bigger than the outer atmosphere. It's it's bigger than the actual ozone layer, and, that, and so Ramirez smashes it. And I was like, well, why even have that? It's not to scale. Well, then why not even why even have it? <laughs> Just something for Connery to smash. Hey, that was my shield model. Yes, we're going. But it's to not to scale. <laughs> we're going to destroy it. It's worthless. Um, so yeah, Virginia Madsen saying she wishes she could see weather. Why is this a problem, Sharon? Well, um, at the beginning of the film, it says it's twenty twenty four. Yep. Okay. Shield's uh, been up for twenty five years. There's a yeah. There's a statue that says the shield went up in nineteen ninety nine, and it's been up for twenty four uh, twenty five years. Virginia Madsen, when this was filmed, was thirty which would have made her five when the shield was put up. She could be playing 25. She knows weather. But at the same time, wouldn't it have been better for her to say, I sometimes dream of the of weather. Like, I sometimes dream of the sunshine. I remember it like a faint memory. I've seen photographs of it and films of it, but I've no, I, 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 can, I, I can only dream of remembering it on my face. That's more powerful and poignant than, oh, I wish I could experience weather. Just once. Clearly she's never been to England. Yeah. And also the Rakowski siblings were just jotting down stuff at the time. Like, oh, Trinity would also want to see the sun. Hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, Katana. Remember him? Princess ah, yeah. Katana goes to Earth from the past or planet Zeist. Because he decides, if you want to do something done right, do it yourself. And he decides the prudent thing to do would be to completely fuck up a train. Like, he's, he's, he enters our Earth, crashing through the roof, and then says to us, like, picks up a small kid by the scruff of the neck and goes, you ever wanted to drive one of these things? Kid grins at him goofily. Yeah. Me too. And I'm assuming he's been watching trains for ages on his giant hollow screen, like, experiencing nothing of life on planet Zeist or the distant past, because right. he's too busy watching. Like, at least he's seen Wizard of Oz, because he says, I don't, it sure doesn't look like Kansas to a guy. So he didn't even have to touch a television. He basically speeds the train up, and everybody's screaming behind him. Now, in this scene in Highlander, where the Kurgan goes mental and starts driving through traffic with this poor old lady hanging off the front of the car, it's kind of a mom comedy scene. We don't actually see people being horribly hurt. Then later, right. I think doesn't he like drive on the pavement with Brenda, and like we, mm -hmm. it is implied that he's hitting people on the pavement. Mm. Yeah, we That's see it. Much less played for last, Brenda's. Clearly terrified yeah. and screaming yeah. her head yeah. off. However, this, they're playing thrash metal and going, yeah! Bow, 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 And like, he's like, yeah, fuck you, train people. He's driving a fucking, like, pause it, folks. You can see a newborn baby flying around amongst the bodies. Mm. Men are smashing their faces into glass. Blood is wiping against walls. One guy's eyes bulge out of their sockets in this insane papier-mâché head scenario. That was just like, who thought this was a good idea? 
Last stop. Katana basically fucking kills a train full of people and it's played for laughs. And he gets off and it's this kind of, like, he's an anarchist. He wants to see absolute chaos. In which case, he'd have fucked up long ago on planet Zeist. If he's ruling the place, he would have fucked up. There would have been an uprising and his head would have been on a spike by the end of the week. Mm -hmm. You don't just, like, rule the planet with an iron fist but keep order and then come to Earth and fuck up a train. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It doesn't. And there's a speed counter at the front of the train. And at one point it says he's got up to, like, 600 and something miles an hour. The train can't go that fast under its own power. Why does the counter go that high? Just in case. Just in case somebody really fast comes and pushes it. Also, I, I've got a feeling that at that speed, it would have just taken off. So, yeah, that's a fun moment. And then he sort of like gets off and goes like, let's stop or some shit. I can't remember. It's appalling. It's horrific. Then John C. McGinley comes in and he's decided he is going to ham this shit up to the nines. Oh my God. He's like, I am evil businessman. And Connor goes back to visit his old uh, buddy who we saw in the time when they sort of set the shield up. And like when they were talking about the effects and going back and perfecting this, they were like, like you know, they finished the movie with these awful effects and we're going to finally go back and perfect them. We're going to like, finally, it's going to look really good. And it's, it doesn't matter if it looks slightly better. The movie itself is a piece of shit. And the people talking about how they can, like, finally exonerate it and say, you know, it was a good movie after all. And that people saying it went from being awful and unwatchable to actually being halfway decent. Your madness, delusion. This is a goddamn piece of wreckage. It's so mismanaged the whole way through. Everything about this film is broken. The effects are just the rotten icing on the cake. I'm Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. We went into Argentina with, as in any romance, marriage, what have you, everything is quite wonderful at the outset. But we found as we got further and further into the, into the production that while the people there were wonderful, the ability to handle a show of this scale and this size was really quite beyond their grasp. I'm going to call bullshit on that. The writing of something is the cheapest part of production. It is the least expensive, most important aspect, especially when you're doing sci-fi. If you don't have that writing down, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it. It doesn't matter if it's, oh, it's the, the production's too big, we can't handle it. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. If the writing on the page is bollocks. And that's not to belittle every other element of filmmaking. They are all very important. But you can take something with fantastic cinematography, fantastic score, great performances from actors working with what they've been given. Even as good editing as you can possibly get out of it, but that editor was left with what they had on the page. An editor can find a decent movie within a mess. They can fix focus issues, pacing issues. They can boil down the plot. But if what they've been handed is stupid and incoherent and incomplete, there's only so much magic an editor can conjure. I slaved for hours over Bad Boys 2, and all I managed to pare it down to was a film about two cops trying to do their job who weren't horrible. The end result was that you had a, a film from a storytelling point of view that was totally inconsistent with the original vision of the director that it made absolutely 
no sense and was uh, uh, for the Highlander fans. And they looked at this original version. They threw up their hands. They were ready to lynch Bill and Peter. And uh, we shared their disillusionment. All the flack that we had gotten from the original Highlander 2 version, the quickening, just spurred us to, at a certain point, say, we will deliver a picture that's consistent with the original vision of Highlander 2, and it'll be a certain type of redemption. Anyway, so John C. McGinley turns up and there's, um, Sharon pointed out, wouldn't 25 years of the human race being unable to experience the sun give the entire human race rickets? And depression. <laughs> you also yeah. said depression, but depression is obvious. Everyone's depressed, especially that wino who attacks old Connor with a bottle. That's true. And, and everyone involved with the production of this film. Uh, there's a bit like he gets out of a car, a taxi cab. This is Katana now. This is Katana. She's got my back. She can cut all you in half with one sword stroke, just like mowing the lawn. I would advise not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victims. He smashes the front windscreen with his pointy, like his extending sword, and then punches his fist through the side of the car door. Like, uh, shattering the glass, and then opens the door and gets out anyway. Why punch the window? Why not just get out? So he's immortal and doesn't feel pain? Question mark? Yeah. Like, even if he heals, surely he should feel pain. Like, like at least show that like he gets horribly injured by this and sort of looks at the wounds and goes, <laughs> and like, like he likes pain or something. Just at least acknowledge the fact that punching your fist through a window would hurt. <laughs> And then what does he say? He's like, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. And leave yourself a nice tip. Yeah. As Michael Ironside the is the biggest, most overwarmed ham. Oh, my like, God. I want to say he's the worst villain, but he's oddly, like, he's more appealing than the villain in Highlander Endgame, wouldn't you say? That the, the, the guy who was in Dungeons & Dragons, I want to say Bruce Dickinson. Yeah, Bruce Payne. Oh, Bruce Payne. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Bruce Dickinson's talented. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, Bruce Payne. Bruce Payne causes me pain to watch. Yeah. The guy uh, who's not Arnold Vosloo. Yeah. <laughs> it's all, it's important to note, by the way, that uh, Highlander 3 directly contradicts this because this is when we get to see Brenda um, in the flashback dying of horrible skin cancer and it pans out and out and out and it's the Gone with the Wind shot where it's like this burn ward and everyone's suffering from horrible skin uh, diseases, which is what motivated Connor to start the sun crusher up. In Highlander 3, she died in a car crash, which means Highlander 2 definitely didn't happen in that continuity. Very specifically, she died in a car crash two years after Highlander 1. Yeah, not in the mid-90s. Nope. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've, they've gone, like, every movie since then has done something to try to erase Highlander 2. In, in Endgame, mm. when Connor is doing the intro sequence, he actually says, no one knows where we came from. We simply are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem again. Like, if you keep constantly resetting, like, where are we even going from at this stage? It, it would kind of be like the X-Men movies if there wasn't even the slightest attempt at um, uh, continuity throughout. But it's almost like the, the X-Men strangled attempts at continuity 
actually make for like a worse situation, like as every film becomes more contradictory. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a there's a wasted bluebeard scene. Louise goes into Connor's house and it twists round and round and round a staircase in a way that's nauseating to watch with the camera. <laughs> um, and she finds his sort of room of hidden old artifacts, you know, saying that he's immortal and like, like, wouldn't it have been better if he hadn't told her who he was? You know, she'd gone snooping around and, and she'd found his room of dead wives. And it's like, you know, I loved them all so much, as opposed to I murdered them all and you're next. <laughs> but again, you know, they waste everything in this movie. So why shouldn't a good Bluebeard parallel? Why should that be any different? <laughs> Katana crashes a uh, business meeting. This is Katana. She's got my back. I would advise not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victims. And have you ever, <laughs> did you notice that he was wearing a WWF championship belt? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He crashes this business meeting. The, John C. McGinley says to a security guard, murder this man in cold blood. Security guard shoots him. He gets back up and then murders the security guard in the most horrible way possible. Oh. Like he just like, cr- like grabs his jaw and just pulls. And there's this sort of horrible crunching, cracking, crack, crack, crack. Just and Ironside's just fucking just like grimly grinning at us. And then yeah, McGinley's like, yeah. right, so I guess we're in cahoots now. <laughs> That's all it really took. And, and uh, Katana says... You know, tell me where the Highlander is. Yeah. He wouldn't call him the Highlander. <laughs> yeah. He's not Scottish to Katana. He's, Ramirez is called Ramirez in the inverted commas flashback. Mm-hmm. So I'm mm-hmm. assuming that Connor is called McLeod. So send him to the clan McLeod. Question that makes mark. sense. Oh, God. Ramirez turns up. He and Connor fight in his uh, house, and, and then they go, "Ah, oh, old friend." Shake hands, and, and then yeah, then they they shake hands, and then Virginia Madsen turns up, and Connor is in for sudden full sleaze bag mode, and he's like, "Ah, oh, this evening just got a little more interesting." And Did your um, version have the the bit with him talking to. The brunette woman on the on the plane. Did yeah. you get to hear yes. what he said? What did he say? Oh yeah, he was like, uh, you know, I've uh, all the most beautiful women in history have been brunettes, Cleopatra, Helen of Troy, plus, <laughs> and he whispers in her ear, "It's a known fact that brunettes, <laughs> or whatever the fuck he said <laughs> into her ear that makes her go." <laughs> he said, "Sit on men's faces." Shit on men's faces. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Oh, my God. Right. Whatever he says at that and point, the fact that she bursts out laughing rather than slapping him and going to sit somewhere else mm. is ridiculous. Like, like, he just whispers in her ear and she goes, oh, stewardess, can I sit somewhere else, please? This guy's really creeping me the fuck out. Also, also, the other line, did he gets brought the in-flight meal. Mm. He declines yeah, he- it with the line, I never Double eat down. anything I can't identify, and then says something, well... Occasionally, there are exceptions to that rule. Looking at the woman again, and it's like, like oh, I could eat something so of course that I couldn't identify. Do you get no. my meaning? I'm talking about your genitals. Yeah, no, I, I, I got it. I got it. So, can I sit somewhere else, please? <laughs> oh, it's so horrid and creepy and foul. <laughs> Anyway, so Connor's decision is that they're going to attack the shield directly. And that basically entails getting into a Chevy, driving at a bunch of armed guards, and getting carved up like Bonnie and Clyde. They shoot them to shit. 
And it's so gory for the Highlander series. It's so horrible. And they're shot and shot and shot. And like it's supposed to be funny when they wake up on the on the morgue in the in this on the slab, and then the doctor's like, but you were this is when Virginia Madsen, who's in this apparently bulletproof trunk, gets up and goes, oh, those guys jumped me. And no one goes, well, you're that eco-terrorist. I know her face. We've been told to look out for you. She tried to crash this very installation. Uh, but instead, they, they bring her along. Have you got, Did you guys notice how completely pointless Louise is in this entire movie? She never yes. lets them anything. Apart from Connor explaining everything to her and her wrapping her vagina around him, she achieves and does nothing in this movie. And that is a fucking waste of an incredible actress. This is a damn shame. If you guys haven't seen Sideways, by the way, and really want to see Virginia Madsen at her best, she mm-hmm. is amazingly good in that film. Yeah. Okay, so they go into a room with a giant fan that appears to be made entirely as a giant death trap from a James Bond movie. Because it starts lowering down and they're like, oh my God, Indy, we got to get out of here. And um, and Ramirez goes, oh, it's okay. I fulfilled my contractual obligation now. I could just sort of like he he sort of half-heartedly adds some philosophy to it, like you know, to explain the magic. You know, it's as if you take every part of your life and put it into one single point, and that allows you to destroy a fan. And um, <laughs> the door opens. Connor and Louise walk out, and he goes, thank you, old friend. <laughs> no, no, will I see you again? I don't know. Depends how much they pay me. We won't have any budget in the next movies. Okay, then. No. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing explodes. Goodbye, Ramirez. Was I'm there any point to having Ramirez in this movie exactly at all? Exactly. None whatsoever. None at all. All that- they had to do was, you know what? Let's just take this scene out. Yeah. And now Ramirez is completely pointless and we can save however many millions of dollars it took and apparently a suit <laughs> to have Sean Connery in it. And a lot of stuff. Can I ask a question? Since we've established that they didn't really need Sean Connery, they didn't really need Virginia <laughs> Madsen, they probably could have done with a better villain than Michael Ironside. John C. McGinley is not required for most of this Wasted to happen. <laughs> If they could have just looked at it and gone, you know what, we don't even need Christopher Lambert, let's just not bother. Just film Christopher <laughs> Lambert doing day-to-day tasks and occasionally have people attack him with swords. You know what? Better, Better movie. movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sharon, here's one of our catchphrases. Is Sean Connery the worst bit of this film? Sean Connery is the best bit of this film. It's true. I'm racking my brains. He really is the best bit of this film. Because but he he's, contributes He's not taking any shit and he's got presence to him. No, that's true. But he contributes massively to this whole tonal mismanagement thing because it's it, he's set up for like really dramatic scenes and then he just walks in and makes shit jokes. He plays them all for laughs. He's got the worst script. And they they play Amazing Grace, which is a wonderful piece of music, last used in cinematic terms at the end of The Wrath of Khan. Don't use that for this. It's also used in L.A. Story, a significantly better movie released, I think, in the same year. (laughs) Oh, God. So many better movies with Amazing Grace in them. Uh, Wasn't it used in Backdraft as well? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't remember much. I feel like it should have been. There was was some Piper music in Backdraft. Mm. Um, 
Oh my god. And what's Russell the Mulcahy? No, no, no. The the writer of the original Highlander also wrote Backdraft. That's the one. I knew there was some connection between the two. Okay. We should see Backdraft. You should see Backdraft. I've seen, I've seen it. it. It's rubbish. Oh, okay. Fire that's alive and hates you. Most people have a full measure of life. And most people just watch it slowly drip away. But if you can summon it all up, at one time, in one place, you can accomplish something glorious. renegade cut not in the theatrical one but in the renegade cut in the special edition they get out of the fan room get into an armored car and drive out of yep. this place and the, the, like katana goes oh if you want something done right do it yourself again goes down stands in front of them in in the road and then connor just drives over him virginia madison has never set eyes on katana i don't think she's been told about katana and she goes Outstanding. She is thrilled that Connor just murdered a man with a truck. Now, this, I think, was one of the reshoots. Maybe not, because ultimately this this, uh, bit of footage turned up in the can reel. Mm. But either way, it's absolute horseshit. It turns into like a big fight on top of the armored car because like he's still clinging on underneath. For like 30 miles. If you're going to add anything to this movie, another shitty action sequence is not it. Really, what you have to do is take things out of this movie, make it shorter, and take everything that doesn't make sense out, and then you end up with a six-minute montage of Sean Connery cracking silly jokes. (laughs) Make this movie shorter, like an hour and 49 minutes shorter. I could not save this movie if you paid me. I would not have any way of doing it. Like, I suppose if you do it in uh, chronological order, at least you understand about the, like, you know, you understand why Connor has done what he's done, maybe. And you just, you take out a whole bunch of shit, especially all the Michael Ironside stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And you just cut everything down. But it's all just taking out. There's nothing that I could add in that would make it better. Apart from, like, you know, development stuff, which, of course, you know, now we would not be able to do because Christopher Lambert looks like old Connor McLeod now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, there's a pointless additional truck sequence. Then they climb a mountain and are somehow now above the shield. Look up at the blue sky, and she goes, "Oh, the sky!" And then it cuts back to Katana back in the room with John C. McGinley, where he was before at night, because of course this truck sequence wasn't in the theatrical cut, and it, you know no time has passed after the fan sequence, and so he decides I'm going to go and fight with Connor McLeod. 
And John C. McGinley tries one last time to show his ass, and he's like, you know, ah, you fucked up. And some of John C. McGinley's best stuff is basically when he's talking to young McLeod. He's like, ah, ah, McLeod, you're still alive. And he goes, always. <laughs> but he says that, and McGinley goes, <laughs> and does his Dr. Cox shit-eating grin, which he's fantastic at. It's so good. It's so good. And he does it twice in that sequence. But then he makes the mistake later on here of saying to Katana, you fucked up. And Katana's like, you know what, Sonny Jim, I don't have to take any of your shit anymore. And he liquidates John C. McGinley's nuts. He grabs him by the testicles, and it's not like, oh, my balls. John C. McGinley screams like a, a cat that's being torn to shreds. He goes, Crushed to these just, just like just jelly, paste to unrecognizable paste, and he has flung from the window of this building to crash to the ground. And it's like, why did you even do that? Why was this character even in here? <laughs> anyway, so, um. Here's the note. Katana transforms McGinley's balls to a jellied ruin. Um, then we have a 10 maybe, second terrible. Maybe that's maybe that's the quickening jelly at the beginning that makes yeah. other immortals. Ooh. I've just realized why the sword fight at the end feels so short. I think the sword fight in the middle of the Renegade cut and the special edition that we saw was somehow fused with the sword fight at the end to make it feel like they fight at the bottom of the... Because that happens before Ramirez gets there, Mm -hmm. I think, in the version we saw. But I think in the version I saw ages ago, that happens at the end of the movie to extend that fight with... um, This is Katana! Because that makes more sense. Oh, interesting. I think that uh, maybe that that fight at the, in the in the lower part of the building takes place uh, because because like he he meets him on hallowed ground and goes holy ground Highlander because they really want to replicate the framework of the original mm-hmm. Highlander and then they fight briefly in an alley same as they do in the original Highlander but um it feels like in the original theatrical version we saw right in folks if we're right or wrong is do they combine those two fight sequences to spin this thing out because basically connor meets katana on the roof they hit their swords together about six times and then katana's on his knees and he has his head cut off and connor goes uh i'm gonna be only one and it's like seriously that was it that was the fight that was the end of this after all this filibustering and wasting our time that was the fight are you fucking kidding me and there's an an appropriately underwhelming and disappointing quickening there too yeah there's like four seconds of lightning and, and then he goes, falls to his knees you'd think that it would be the biggest quickening ever because katana's oh, killed yeah. a whole bunch of that people. quickening should have been what destroyed the shield yeah but instead connor steps into the shield and i think I, I i think he was like like holding it was kind of like holding back your orgasm if you're a, you're a man just like like tantra and he was holding mm-hmm. back the quickening to thus release within the uh, shield <laughs> he just goes oh it's like when I was balls deep in Virginia Madsen in that alley. Oh! Yes! <laughs> I'm sorry. And Virginia Madsen's like, yeah, kind of was. That was about that fast as well. He goes up to the shield generator and says, 
I am Conor McLeod. Then he orgasms. And I cannot die. I cannot die. Get ready. (laughs) Conor McLeod's form of foreplay is to say, brace yourself. I blossom. (laughs) You can do that to me forever, Lord. Or, you know, longer than 12 seconds if you want. Well, he's a 15th century Scot. Yeah, that was a marathon session in those days. (laughs) No matter what Game of Thrones tells you. So, yeah, the shield goes down and any fucking director worth their salt would make sure that there was a deep contrast between the starless blue haze of the shielded sky where they're not really seeing anything much above it and beautiful azure blue of a sunlit sky because that's what happens you get the contrast of we can't see the sun and now we can see the sun no 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 no. we can't see the night sky just it's forever night and now we can finally see the stars so it's a bit more like a natural night it's a complete missed opportunity. It wouldn't have made the film better, but it is at least showing a significant change to the world as opposed to, well, it was navy blue before, but now it's black with little pinpricks of light. But let me tell you, in about 12 hours' time, when it's morning again, it's going to blow your fucking minds. You better get your Matrix sunglasses out because your eyes are going to go batshit. Seriously, I cannot say enough about this one. Just here over the age of 25. Back me up on this. Hey, where's that old lady? Hey, the lady with the bottle. You remember? No, not that thing. Am I right? Just orgasm to this machine. And I killed the shield. You know they need energy. That energy comes from one Highlander orgasm. <laughs> You want to know what that feels like, old lady with the bar? Oh, oh, God. Well, let me tell you. I am <laughs> McLeod of the Glen McLeod. Come back, come back, come on. I, I cannot oh, die. Oh, she's gone. Finish. I am sad now. <laughs> is this just his way of explaining it when they turn up and find him standing next to the shield generator with a suspicious-looking puddle on the top? It's not what it seems. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> exactly what it seems. I fucked the shield generator. Take me to prison. Just don't take me to the one with the revolving fan. <laughs> what you charging with? Oh, the actual prison, by the way, where they put people, they put his old friend, who's like this old businessman type. <laughs> they put him in this jail. Black people, and he meets him before he goes to the shield generator. And he's like, hey, your friend. And he goes, oh, I'm a cloud. Um, little piece of information <laughs> need to know. I die. <laughs> it is like just getting near the hero <laughs> to bring about the death that he can go, oh, my dead scientist. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the funny part about that scene mm-hmm. is he tells him, so he knows the, he says that oh, he says, when they're say, typing in. Get up above the shield generator. You can get up above the clouds. That doesn't do anything, does it? Or does it? That was to make sure. I think that was just to make sure so that they would know that, yes, for sure, the ozone layer is okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Was that um, in the theatrical cut, folks? Do they actually see the blue sky? Because it was attached to the truck sequence, so we never could tell. Yeah. Okay. But the, the weird part about that prison scene and all of this is that when he finds him in the prison, he gives him the second half of the coordinates, and then it cuts to John C. McGinley watching that that happen because they of course have his prison cell bugged and then later 
he says to Katana, well, what if he got the last piece of the coordinate that we need? He may know what to do. We have no way of knowing where he is. You know exactly where the <laughs> fuck he is, you asshole. <laughs> True. Okay. Did you get to see the deleted ending? Uh, yeah, I don't remember. Okay. It is no. something to behold. Is it? Okay. In the version that we saw, I, I I don't know if this happens in the Renegade Cup, but the special edition ending, basically, they go out onto next to the dam where they're re- messing up all the farmers' live livelihoods. <laughs> yeah. And the they look up at the starry sky, and it's Connor and, and, and her, and he goes, oh, now I am free to choose. And then he kisses her, and I think he stays on Earth or something. Okay. Okay. In the fairy tale ending... And I don't know if this was in the original theatrical cut. It, it def, I, I don't think it was because this is an unfinished scene. It's on a blue screen and Connor McCloud is hanging on wires and he is floating 10 feet in the air, which is fine when you're watching it and it's actually on set and it's a person mm-hmm. sort of floating. And you're like, okay, so he's on wires. But if he's on a blue screen set, he's just hanging in a, a big, like, big blue room and she's standing staring at him and, and like it's unfinished footage. So she's going... You know, you you have to go, right? And he's like, yes, I must go back to my home planet now. I have to go now. My planet needs me. He (laughs) is having the poochie ending as we watch him. And he says, come with me. And she goes, I can't. And you know I can't. Bullshit, lady. And he goes, no, you can't come with me. Do you know why? Because, hey, it's a kind of magic. And then, like... He, he he holds her hand and then it sort of melts to stars and they become like star people. And it's like, oh, he took her back to planet Zeist, populated by two monks. Because Katana went and his henchmen went. Now you can be in my desert world and I'm probably immortal or something. Which means I pretty much have to go through the same shit I went through back on Earth. But there's less to do because it's a desert planet. That's not a better ending. We can watch Future Vision forever. God damn it! Oh god, fucking damn it! <laughs> you idiots! Oh, I'm anyway. glad that that isn't the way that they ended the movie. No, it's just like you get another bit of oh, Highlander. You can put all of your life into the the pen prick of one moment, and then you can orgasm for twelve seconds. <laughs> See, I got die. that bit, <laughs> and then die like a praying mantis. <laughs> Come with me. I can't, and you know it. Sure you can. How? It's a can of magic. Come on, we can do it. Remember, Highlander, you've both still got your full measure of life. Use it well, and your future will be glorious.
If you are on our Patreon at the $5 level or higher, there's a bonus Highlander show called There Can Only Be Two that will be available this week, composed of nearly two hours of excised footage. A lot of it from that scrapped 2016 show. The rest of it from after we finished talking about Highlander 2, and then we talked about 3 and 4 and 5 and the TV show with Jesse. Since a lot of the same points are made, you might want to leave this one for a while and then revisit it at a later date. Think of it as a chance to listen to a show from an alternate reality where I don't have the exacting high standards that I do in this, the darkest timeline. But if you're at that $5 level, you can hear the deleted footage from our Mary Poppins show, our Spider-Verse show, the Bumblebee show, the Ant-Man and the Wasp show. These are all considerably better than There Can Only Be Two, and they don't repeat points that you heard on the main podcast. The Bicentennial Man and License to Wed show, plus my quick review of Glass. Here's a spoiler-free clip. The frustrating thing is that this is the film where they could have leveled at Elijah, you were born with an incredible mind. Whether that makes you a superhero or supervillain is irrelevant. Someone born with or bestowed a gift like that in a comic book has the choice between using that power for good or for evil. You've decided to use it for evil and you're using comic books to back up that narrative. Instead, it's always just the question of, is he super, is he not? He's smart, but he's a smart asshole. And our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so Sean Connery and Christoph Lambert would like to say a big thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Chavard, Michael Hashko, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Benjamin Biddle, Joseph Gluck, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, <laughs> Dave Hickman, Aaron Lacluse, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chesham. And we're going to finish on uh, Lorena McKennett's version of Bonnie Portmore from uh, Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. Um, which is actually a really quite nice song. And I hate using the word nice. My English teacher would spank me for it. Um, At least it's not interesting. It's a quite transportive song. Ah, Miss Burden. Um, she, <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, she's got a lovely voice and it kind of makes you think of the lochs. And it, it was so good and so, and so beautiful. They actually ended up using it in Endgame anyway. Uh, and it's got kind of a wistful, sad, um, but hopeful air to it. And I'd like to end our, our, our uh, views on Highlander on this tone rather than on he's what I call it to feel good or like whatever the fuck was in Highlander 5. <laughs> they did it. It was a shitty remake of Princess of the Universe is oh, what it was. God. Okay, we'll play that for just a moment now so that you oh. know what we could be ending on. The worst song ever. Or it was, or it was the Guardian singing "Who Wants to Live Forever" a cappella. Yeah. Oh, he was just sick on my own penis. Oh, God, <laughs> I'm so angry. Oh, okay. So now we're actually going to finish on the much nicer <laughs> song from Highlander Three this morning.
I have been Alex Shaw. And I've been Sharon Shaw. And there can can be be only two. two.